we are not going to impact everyone. There are some students that that just the guo guo, so they, they just you know live their lives. They they want to live simple lives, and I think it's okay. But those that are hungry and are handicapped because of the natural disadvantages in our Singapore uh, education system, access is here to ensure that they are taken care of and we lift them up. And we want to make sure that they are connected to the right people who will give them opportunity. And I give you an example. For me, I, I was also given tons and tremendous opportunities in a grassroots level. And, and because of that, I have a stronger self-esteem today. And I say that, hey, I have broken free. And looking back, it is difficult. Lah. You need someone to believe in you. You need something to, to spur you on. And we believe that access can be that. A lot of them have self-limiting mindsets and we really want to smash that and allow them to dream big. Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. When Tio Yu Yin published her book, This is What Inequality Looks Like, back in 2018, it was immediately met with many, many rave reviews, partly due to the incredibly moving stories that were included, but mainly, I think, because for what seemed like the first time, it brought the especially thorny issues of poverty and inequality to the forefront of Singapore's consciousness. Seemingly overnight, topics like privilege, poverty, access, and opportunity permeated our national dialogue. There were debates and arguments online, many letters to the newspapers, and long-form discussions hosted by established media outlets. It was, in a sense, kind of a watershed moment in our recent Singaporean history, but undeniably one that was rather uncomfortable as well. Here's a short passage from the book's opening chapter. Quote, When I present my work on poverty, I sometimes encounter audience members who respond to what I say about material hardships by launching into stories about the hardships they grew up with or are familiar with. At one workshop, I talked about a woman whose family was homeless for a few months. Her children had to shower in public bathrooms at 4 a.m. every day in preparation to go to school. As I spoke, a person in his 70s quipped that he takes cold showers every day too. He cheerfully pointed out that it is nice because the weather in Singapore is hot. At another event, I spoke of bedbugs keeping kids up at night, leading them to miss school when they overslept in the morning. Someone then countered that he experienced bedbugs as a child as well. The remarks were made partly in jest, but their speakers aimed to soften the impact of my claims. What they were essentially implying is that taking cold showers is not so difficult, and bedbugs are not such a hardship. But they are what these two people imply to be quirky habits or everyday phenomena of a romantic past are, for the people I've been meeting these recent years, uncomfortable conditions of an everyday present. It is their everyday reality to see that everyone else appears to have moved up and established some semblance of comfort, while they alone are left behind." In this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast, 
we are honored to be able to present our second organizational feature, this time with the nonprofit entity called Access and the work they're doing to help those that are left behind. We will hear more from their founder, Clarence, about what they do, what their mission is, the people involved behind the scenes, but most importantly, how in their own way, they are trying to tackle this thorny, thorny issue of inequality. This won't be that uncomfortable, I promise. Hi, my name is Clarence. I'm the founder of Access. So Access is a social mobility organisation which provides career exposure opportunities for underserved youths in Singapore. Access have been around since January 2019. Uh, you launched two successful pilot programmes in June and December of the same year where you worked with 30 volunteers and over 20 supporting companies, and you guys are aiming to impact 300 students in this year, 2020. So first off, uh, what is Access? What is its mission? And how does it go about accomplishing it? Yeah, uh, first and foremost, thanks, um, Danny, for the interview. I think really Access, we looked at how social mobility is quite an issue in Singapore. Mm. Um, when we particularly look at how students um, don't really have opportunities in your heartland schools, so your neighbourhood schools, as compared to the peers in good schools, your mm. elite schools. Mm. So of course, your typical Hua Chong, your Raffles. We do see a disparity in terms of career exposure opportunities. So those good schools like RI, they provide um, opportunities like, you know, um, office tour, for example, career exposure workshops. How do you write CV, for example? Um, secondary school students don't really get those sort of opportunities. Sure, they do have leadership programs and all that, but specifically for career, you don't see that much. In a nutshell, that is the problem that Access is trying to solve. Students from the quote-unquote better, more prestigious schools have more opportunities and programs available to them that can help with their career development later on. From the onset, you can already see how this is linked to issues of inequality. If the playing field is already skewed so early on in life, you can easily imagine how it can get worse when these students enter the working world. So I think at Access, really, we want to provide those sort of opportunities. We bring in companies like PwC, for example, um, who hold career exposure workshops, office tours. Mm. Um, we have companies like SGAC who hosted some students um, for an uh, externship program. So mm. that's a one-week-long work attachment program. Um, really, I think... Our mission is to ensure that every student has equal opportunities. Um, in Singapore, I think you realise for opportunities to happen, mm. um, you need a lot of support. And what we've realised internally when we do our research is that students from your good schools tend to go further than your typical neighbourhood school student. Why? Because I think these students are primed. These students have the right opportunities and they do know that they have alumni they could tap on. Mm. And they are generally more, they are, they are more sengmok. So in English, I think they're wiser. They they understand how 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 to get have skin in the game. So I think we want to provide these opportunities specifically for your Heartland School students mm. to be equipped. We want to ensure that students can dream. Mm. A lot of them have self limiting mindsets, and I think what Access does is we really want to smash that and allow them to dream big. As Tiu Yen writes in her book. Quote, inequality as a social phenomenon is experiential. It is a lived reality felt in everyone's everyday lives. 
For many of the Heartland students that Clarence is trying to help, their experience of inequality manifests in what he describes as self-limiting mindsets. For instance, I didn't have opportunities like those other students. Maybe it's because they're better than me. Maybe I'm not good enough. Or I don't have multiple internships and projects on my resume. Maybe I shouldn't even apply for this job. I actually came from a normal academic stream background. Mm-hmm. So for those who are unfamiliar in Singapore, we stream students. So it's normal technical, normal academic, express and special stream. Yeah. People generally view express and special students as, you know, good students, academically driven students, smart students, you know, they, they will get far ahead. But the normal academic stream and the normal technical stream, there's some stereotypes of these students not being able to do as well. These students are lazy. Um, I think I have been through that because I've gone through five years of normal academic stream in, in my secondary school and you really face it. Lah. You, you have teachers saying that you're not good enough. I still remember a Chinese teacher who, who said that, you know, my son is smarter than you guys. Mm. And at that time, you know, at 15, 16, self-confidence is, is an issue. Hmm. You are very worried about the future. You don't know where it's going to go. Only like, you know, at my age right now, so I'm 26 now, when I look back, I realize, hey, actually, I didn't have to panic too much. Yeah. But at that time, when I put myself in the shoes of, you know, 15-year-old Clarence, it's bleak. For the most part, education in Singapore is touted as the great equalizer, the ultimate tool of social mobility. The belief is that so long as you study hard and get good grades, opportunities will come your way and your future will shine ever so brightly. And while undoubtedly there have been numerous cases of students who came from underprivileged backgrounds to find success through this path, it is undeniable that wealthier families are able to better equip their children through extra tuition, studying material, education resources, or even simply just a nice warm bed to sleep peacefully through the night. This is the uncomfortable hidden reality, that while some do climb the ladder of social mobility, many more are left behind. Students who don't perform well academically are often stigmatized, afforded less attention and resources, and denied opportunities and entry into the top local universities. On the one hand, education is indeed a powerful tool, but if played along an uneven surface, likely leads to greater rather than less inequality. I'll share with you a story that is still very fresh in my mind. So access, right? We rely heavily on our partnerships division. We, we go for meetings very regularly because again, we are a young social mobility organization and we have to sell to schools our programs. There was one particular school and we told her like, you know, this is a value proposition. Your students will benefit from our programs mm. because we bring in um, good companies. Mm. The students get to understand the different sectors. Mm. So for example, banking, for example, you know, um, social media marketing. Um, and the principal didn't buy it. The principal said, Social mobility will, ne- will always be a problem. Inequality will always be a problem. Hmm. It will exist. Why should I do this? Hmm. Honestly, I, I was quite pissed off. La. I was quite pissed by it. La. You realise that it's exactly because of these opinions that don't change things. Social mobility wasn't um, the government's priority in the last 10 years, mm. right? But of course, with Toyo Yen's book that came out in 2017 or 2018, I think that really opened Pandora's box. Yeah. Because people are asking, sure, inequality is real. What can we do about it? And I, I do see MOE, you know, having programs like Uplift, for example. So Uplift is a program where they have uh, intervention programs to ensure, you know, your, your latchkey kids, uh, latchkey students, your delinquents um, come back in. 
And at Access, I think we, we see that gradual improvement, but we still have quite a bit to go in terms of how many organisations can be part of this. We are the only one so far. And of course, I do hope that more people will take on the challenge to tackle this issue at hand. So, from what we've been discussing so far, tackling this issue of inequality and social mobility seems like quite the arduous task. So I think it'll be good to briefly run through just how Clarence and his team at Access plan to do so. As briefly mentioned earlier, they partner with companies and schools to run programs and workshops. And on the whole, they are divided into three distinct categories. You have Insights. Insights is very much a very short one-week program. We have students take on CV workshops. Um, we have students come in to do office tours. And I think what we do is that we, we curate this four to five day program uh, around career exposure. You have externships. After that, they go on to our externship program. So externship is a short one to three week program. So you get to understand like, okay, you have to work up early for, for work and then what time and then get, get used to the workplace environment, right? And then you have mentorships. Uh, mentorships is very interesting. We want working professionals, young working professionals, anything from one year to three years working experience to mentor um, your secondary school students. It's more social-emotional learning. Things like, you know, relationships or, you know, like uh, school, family stuff. So it's 20% career, 80% social-emotional learning. Of course, in order to run these programs at the scale and impact that Access aims for, you need to have a capable team. And while their advisory board boasts some prominent figures such as Jeannie Gunn, director of the Singapore Law Society, and Elvin Tan, head of public policy and economics at LinkedIn Asia Pacific, a cursory look at their staff page reveals a total of 36 members, spread over divisions such as partnerships, strategy, programs, communications, operations, and so on. Why we have so many individuals in the team is because for the work that we do, it requires a lot of navigation. We are essentially trying to shape national narrative while trying to run programs. So each division is specific to a certain area. So for example, um, partnerships. I talk a lot about partnerships because I think they are, they are one of the most important divisions in, in, in Access. They really have to work with partners and they have to get a buy-in of partners. And it's not easy, right? Because we are a young non-profit. And the second thing is because we focus on secondary school students. It's challenging because a lot of companies want to green harvest from universities, right? Communications, for example, is important because, again, we are, we are a young non-profit and, and getting our message out is very important. So terms like social mobility and underserved and all that, I think we, we are very careful with our terminologies. Um, and other divisions, of course, with logistics, um, with, with strategy, I think they play a very important role in how access moves forward. But at the center of it all is its dedicated and certainly enthusiastic founder, the person that you've been listening to all this while, Clarence himself. And the thing to note about Clarence is that he has quite the peculiar background, one which ties in rather closely with what he currently does. I went to Henry Park Primary School. Um, so if you're in the know, you will know that Henry Park is one of the best schools in Singapore, along with Nanyang and all, because they're gifted education program. Mm. So I was put in Henry Park. Unfortunately, my experience at Henry Park wasn't the best because of how I think inequality perpetuated in the primary school. Hmm. Um, I think, well, if, if anyone from Henry Park is listening to this, they, they wouldn't <laughs> take too kindly to my comments. <laughs> uh, but it's located in Holland Grove Road. 
Okay. And Henry Park is known to have lots of rich kids. And then, of course, I didn't do as well for PSLE. I mm. scored only 196. Mm. Um, by Singapore standards, that is terrible. To your question also, I think when I was young, my parents um, realized that I was very active. I kept moving around. I couldn't sit down. And I just like couldn't, couldn't sit still. Mm. And the teachers all got crazy about it. Um, and there was this teacher called um, Joyce Day. She reached out to my dad and said, Hey, um, could you come down to Henry Park? And she said, your son might have ADHD. Hmm. And I think at that time, it was still a very new term. Mental health and, you know, teachers being prepared for students with special needs was still a very, very new concept at that time. Hmm. Of course, teachers now are prepared, but last time, no. So I was very lucky that Joyce Day was there to tell my dad that your son might have ADHD. Um, and my parents read up more. I went to see psychiatrists. I went to Institute of Mental Health's uh, Child Guidance Clinic. And I was officially diagnosed with ADHD. How did your parents and yourself take to this uh, idea that, oh, you you are now officially diagnosed with this condition? I can't really recall because I was diagnosed when I was primary school. Mm. But I think my parents, they were surprised but not really surprised. Mm. And I think when I was diagnosed, uh, my parents were very desperate to, to find out what exactly it was mm. and what could help it. Um, my ADHD journey was one that, you know, I embraced, I think. Um, it was very difficult, trust me. It was very difficult because of how the Singapore education system is set up. Mm. It was how academic results were really the driving force of it. Mm. Because I couldn't sit still, I cannot concentrate at all. And somehow when you ask me to sit down and do homework, I just cannot. I just cannot. And, and I think at that time, I, I just kept asking myself why. Why? And, and over time, you know, I just, I screwed. <laughs> I don't really care anymore. Mm. I'll just be myself. Mm. Um, it, it was challenging for my parents. Simply because I wasn't academically inclined and they didn't want to see me fail. On the academic side, didn't make you feel like you were inadequate or you weren't able to maybe perform as well as your of course, peers. Of yeah. course, of course, of course, definitely. Mm. If the education system was more robust and considered other skills, I guess, or abilities, I think I, I wouldn't have been too stressed over it. Mm. But because the pressure was always looking at my peers and they're getting good grades while I just get like a bad grade. So I still remember. So this, I, I jumped forward a couple of years in secondary school. In sec 3, I remember I got back my aim at... Eh, is it prelim results? I don't remember what exact results, but at point hundred, I got 25 for my additional maths. Hmm. And I was the laughing stock of the whole class. And in fact, whenever we catch up, I think most of the time, we will recall that time where everyone got like 70, 80, 60, and those who fail borderline fail, but mine was 25. And I just laughed about it lah, because um, I think over time, having ADHD also allows you to embrace your the difficulties you have and also the general sense of how people perceive you. Mm. Uh, so I was known as, you know, I was always failing and I was always like, you know, moving around and all that. And, you know, I was always the class clown. Mm. Um, so I think the challenge was really um, dealing with this. But at the same time, I think over time, you realise that, ah, let's just embrace it. Lah. Mm. Right? Just laugh at yourself, you know, just, you know, anything, you get bad grades, just laugh about it. Lah. Why be negative about it? So I think if I take this whole ADHD thing, I think I've, I've learned to embrace my, my deficiencies. Hmm. I've learned it and tried to expound it into something positive. Hmm. So ADHD, sure, it's challenging. You can't sit down. But I have 
translated it into grassroots work, access work, because you're always on the ground, you're always with partners. You take it and you embrace it. Mm. Yeah. This idea that Clarence just presented, you take it and you embrace it, or you take the negative in you and you turn it into something positive. That, I'd like to think, is the heart of this Screwed Up Moments podcast. That you fall and you get back up again, that you fail and you try again. It sounds so simple, right? So easy. Just be positive, embrace your flaws, appreciate your failures. But don't ever let the simplicity of these words fool you. It's never easy to remain positive when you've encountered misfortune. And it's never simple to take the bad in you and turn it into something good. Maybe also I'll share a little bit more about that. So I think it got to a point where I think I was going so badly that my parents were really worried because PSL is coming up, right? Right, right, right. Um, I was on regular consultations with CGC um, with this uh, particular doctor, Dr. Pathy. Anyone who has the ADHD will be prescribed with a standard drug called Ritalin. I was put on that because I couldn't sit still. So I took it and, and you know, my parents observed that I started developing different tics and I was just like a zombie. Mm. I really could sit still, but I was lifeless. Mm. I wasn't the cheery self um, because I always run around and just laugh and joke and just smile and, and yeah, but uh, I was dead. <laughs> yeah. so my parents were very worried um, they changed it to another drug I can't remember which drug it, it was better but um, it, it, it still wasn't the best and I think my parents made a collective decision to take me off drugs uh, because they felt that I was a bit off but then again isn't that also why we are drawn to these stories that we are able to see ourselves in these guests relate to their failures and their imperfections and their misfortunes and somehow come away with something better. We can find comfort in shared loss, meaning in struggle, and sometimes just the tiniest bit of hope in their redemption. So so I think it wasn't an easy decision on the end as well because taking me off the drug means I, I have to really sit down and try my best to concentrate. And when you really try your best to concentrate, you get very tired. And I think I really want to thank my mom also because I think she took a year off actually. Mm. Um, when I was primary six to sit down with me and to guide me um, for PSLE and I think to date I'm very grateful I, I, I always say ah, it's nothing but I think on reflection it really helped me um, although you know it's very painful because my mom's a teacher and you know if your mom's a teacher <laughs> your parents a teacher somehow you, you you just cannot see eye to eye you're just like ah, whatever just very thankful for her and I think lots of friends hearing this they'll be very surprised that I actually have ADHD and they will mm. realise why actually I'm so fidgety mm. because some of them said hey I think maybe you have ADHD but of course I won't say right? <laughs> I, I won't say and I think it, it wasn't the right time uh, but now right. that I just finished university looking back at the 17 years of my education I think it's time to share with everyone um, and I think I'm comfortable now because I went through a lot of challenges and I want to share with everyone and also to friends you know with ADHD never give up mm. because you can do well and how you do that is you try to turn something negative into something positive mm. so I try my best to do that sometimes I feel like my mind's all over the place um, doing different things and not concentrating and being all over the place but you just try to embrace it lah. and finally we should also do well to remember the importance of a helping hand. 
be it, like in Clarence's case, teachers who show concern, parents who sacrifice, or even colleagues that commit to a shared cause. They are all vital precisely because they help in the process of turning the negative into something positive. They cheer you on, they lend you support, and they want the best for you and they hope for the day when they can see you succeed. In a way, what Clarence is doing with Access is his own personal story coming full circle. The boy that had ADHD, had trouble sitting down and studying, who did poorly and was teased and stigmatized at school, but who also had people that cared and supported him all the way through. People who saw the best in him and gave him opportunities, but most importantly, people who never gave up in him and who never let him give himself up. To close off this episode then, I got him to share more about how he's completing the circle. I'm incredibly privileged to have this opportunity mm. and this chance to really do something meaningful, right? Mm. And tell students that, hey, I've been in your shoes before. Mm. Maybe I'll share a bit about the first pilot run because that one is the closest to my heart. Mm. So there was a particular student, I'll, I'll name him A. Right? Student A was actually very interesting because he was, um, he was known as a class clown and he said he wanted to be a professional comedian. Okay. And, and to be very fair... Generally, when people say they want to be comedians, they are, sometimes they are not as funny. La, but this kid was super <laughs> hilarious. And whatever he did was damn funny. And it wasn't like just laugh for the sake of laughing, but he was really quite funny. Right. Um, we matched him with a company called Successpedia. Okay. We put him there because he constantly said, I really want a gig to really hone my video production skills, to learn more about, you know, how to film a video and all that, how to sn- use a camera. And he was very joyful during the program. And 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 students are generally very innocent until they step out of the working world, mm. right? During the, the, the course of uh, externship, when he was success PD on the last day, mm. I spoke uh, with my head of partnerships because head of partnerships was the one doing the stakeholder liaison and all that. And they were very impressed by him. And in fact, they even offered an internship after for the next holiday. Mm. Because he was filming videos and he was very hungry. You so one, one common re- recurring theme of these students is that most of them are very hungry. Hmm. Very, very hungry. So that's one story. And then he, he he learned a lot and he was very he was very thankful because it, if not for us, it would be very difficult for him to get a stint, right? Um another example is student B. On the first day he was very disruptive. He used his phone to play game even when he we said like hey, sit in a group and all that. And I think my facilitators um took him out to have a chat with him. And then over the few days we have seen him change so much. We always use his case study and even to today we still continue to talk about him. So he was very keen in gaming, which is very clear lah, because he, he gamed he gamed so much for the first day. He said, Mr. Clarence, I really want to work uh, in HR. I said, HR? Are you sure or not? You you, you really want to work in HR? Are you sure about that or not? And so the second day after DBS Pro Workshop, he explained that he was very inspired. And yeah, yeah. Wow, very interesting. Learn about HR. I said, you very sure? I said, yes, Mr. Clarence, I really want. In the afternoon, he, we went to DDB, a, uh, DDB Group. So that's the advertising firm. Right. And he did a little office tour thing. Lah. Right. So that was the last one. Right. Um, and so what happened was um, he... He went up to the managing director, DDB Group. Ah, I really, really want a HR stint. Can you please give me? I really want to work in HR. So he kept bugging the guy, 
and he was you know he had have to keep saying like oh, unfortunately student B you know mm, mm, mm. because of what we have we don't have but maybe next time you know we can try um, and he was very dejected because there were no HR externship placements went back very sian very sian very sian then I still remember email came in when we reached the school we reached the school that was about 5pm after on the way back lah, from DDB they said Hi Clarence, we really appreciate student B's enthusiasm. He was very persistent. Hmm. And I think we really want to provide him a HR opportunity in DDB. We'll try to make it work. We were just like, you must not disappoint us. If you do, we will be very pissed off. Um, and I'm very happy to say that he did very well. Um, although it was mundane stuff, first three days he said, oh, it's a bit boring. Then um, I think the supervisor was very nice to give him something different. He really appreciated that stint. And in fact, he messaged me, he said, uh, Mr. Clarence, do you have any externship slots? Hmm. And he bugged the supervisor in DDB to ask whether they have any externship slots. And I tell you, Danny, this is the magic of access, I think. We are not going to impact everyone. We will give you the program, you will, you will go for the program, you may not develop hunger, you may just go back to, you know, just living your life. But students like student B have shown that you can instill that spark. Hmm. There are some students that, that just go go. So they, they just, you know, live their lives, mm-hmm. they, they want to live simple lives, and I think it's okay. Mm. But those that are hungry and are handicapped because of the natural disadvantages in our Singapore uh, education system, Access mm. is here to ensure that they are taken care of and we lift them up. Mm. And we want to make sure that they are connected to the right people who will give them the opportunity. And I give you an example. For me, I, I was also given tons and tremendous opportunities in a grassroots level. And and because of that, I have a stronger self-esteem today. Mm. And I say that, hey, I have broken free. And looking back, it is difficult. Lah. You need someone to believe in you. You need something to, to spur you on. And we believe that access can be that, that catalyst of change. And so, with that brings the end to this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and much, much thanks to Clarence of Access for sharing his story. I must admit that towards the end of the episode, I was genuinely smiling from ear to ear while doing my editing work. You know, it's been a really tough year for a lot of us with the whole COVID situation and the seemingly never-ending stream of bad news that just keeps coming. And it was just refreshing to hear something positive for a change. If you'd like to get in touch with Clarence or check out his work at Access, I'll be leaving links in the episode description and show notes. Do check them out. With that being said, the Screwed Up Moments podcast is brought to you by the Singaporean Social Enterprise Happiness Initiative, an organization that advocates for happiness and well-being through their message that happiness is a choice. Production and editing was done by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions. Episode music was sourced from Blue Dot Sessions, and the theme song was composed by Rico Lowe. If you enjoyed listening to the Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends or by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Otherwise, if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own Screwed Up Moments story to share, you can drop us a message through the email dkoordi at fableproductions.com or through the various social media links in the description. Once again, this has been your host Danny for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again.
Thank you for listening.